still no tennis action, but what we are getting our tennis fix with is tennis players on Instagram Live. It's one of the few things that we can get enjoyment out of sport at the moment, but last night provided some good entertainment with Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal talking about their relationship and other things as well. Plenty to get through on today's show. We've got uh, Mark Safoulis joining us from the tennis menu. We're going to chat all about that when he joins. Joel and I are going to do some nostalgia um, talk uh, like we did last week with our top fives. But we've got our first matches that we ever attended and much, much more, including the very famous, after only a week, Benoit of the Week. Val Febo here with you on Breakpoint Podcast and Joel Frucci joins me. We've decided to go with the Zoom chat today and uh, I must say it's already working wonders. It is working wonders, Val. Good to be with you again. And um, I've got to say, I can, I can only sort of hope that we can recreate the way that uh, that Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer look at each other over Instagram <laughs> Live. Which is oh, was, uh, it's just it's oh man, it doesn't get um it doesn't get much better. But yeah, I, I, like they they are just what a, what a wonderful uh, wonderful team uh, they are. What well, to watch and yeah, they're just it's it's. It's genuinely beautiful to see their relationship, and they were mm. both smiling at each other. If you just give me a smile here, I'll uh, take a screenshot. There we go. <laughs> I'm just taking a screenshot to show you how we how we actually look at each other. So um, yeah, so that that can go up on our socials a little bit later. But um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's, it was it was actually a really good chat. I, I scrolled through it this morning, Australian time, because it, it went. Well, Rafa started it overnight. And um, yeah, it was it was quite good, Roger. They both seemed so old with the way that they were doing it because they couldn't really they couldn't get logged on. And then Andy Murray had the same problem as well. But um, yeah, it was it was it was good entertainment, good viewing, and you can see how much Roger and Rafa especially care for each other. And it's um, hopefully us yeah. two can replicate that. We we like to think we have a good relationship, so um, we can um, we can try and build on what what they've got and try and make it even more special. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah, obviously, you know, who doesn't love the Fidel relationship? I mean, it's great that it's got to this point. I think, um, but um, yeah. Anyway, should we get into the news, my friend? Yeah, no, we've got we've got a lot to talk about. As I said off the top, Mark. Let's Sifu- do it. There is a lot to talk about. Mark Sifu is going to join us a little bit later for the tennis menu, so we're excited about that chat. He's a coaching extraordinaire, and but I think we've got we've got a couple of things that we do want to get through, Joel. And um, the first thing on the agenda is Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal sort of got in contact with each other this week and yeah. put together a plan, a monetary plan for the players that are ranked between 250 and 700 in the world. And the plan goes as follows. So top one to five in the world will donate $30,000 each. This is in the ATP circuit. Five to 10 will donate $20,000 each. 10 to 20, 15,000. 20 to 50, 10,000. And 50 to 100, 5,000, as well as the top 20 doubles players donating $5,000, and the total amount is $1,050,000. But also, the ATP is also going to be quite generous. So they're hoping that the ATP um, and Grand Slams soon give $100,000 each, so the total can eventually get up to four to $4.5 million. Goal is to give $10,000 to each player, ranked 250 to 700 um, in, in the world. So, look, on paper, it's really good, and I think that, the it definitely works to giving these players a little bit of monetary assistance in this time of need because it's obviously not an easy time uh, for them especially to be to be getting through so um I'm, there's there's a couple of things that I would like to sort of pick through but I'll, I'll go with your thoughts first and what you what you think of the whole initiative yeah well 
I guess the thing that sticks out for me, Val, is that I, I don't think, well, firstly, actually, let's go back to the start. Firstly, I, I like the premise of the idea. Um, you know, we spoke about this last week a lot, um, ad nauseum pretty much, that the lower-ranked players at the moment really need um, a lot of support from, from the sport, from other professionals, from the slams, from everyone really to really make sure they can pull through this and actually still remain as professional tennis players um, after this crisis ends. But I think the way that the, it's been proposed probably for me isn't the right way of going about it. I, I think that rather than uh, denoting a donation based on ranking is, is probably not the right, right way of going about it. I think that um, the way that the ATP should be, or well, the players should be looking at this is um, based on overall success. Um, and I guess probably the two main things that we would have to factor in there would be titles, um, slams, yeah. Um, yeah, 1,000s, 500s, 250s, challenges, whatever. Yeah. Um, titles and also t- total prize money earned. Um, and yeah, when you look at the when you look at the rankings, yeah. um, it's it's okay. It's they're very current, so fair enough. So you look at one to ten, for example, all the big guys are still there. So yep, no worries. They'll be able to donate a fair chunk of money. Um, they've got their prize money. They've won a lot of titles. They've got their endorsements as well. So yes, they can afford it. And, and to be fair, I actually think that the, the top five guys could could easily afford to contribute more than thirty thousand yeah. each. I, I think that's Absolutely, but um, when you look outside, outside the top 100, you see guys, and funnily enough, there's a few of them mm. um, that are ranked in the 120s, actually. Guys like Kevin Anderson, Ivo Karlovic, Juan Martin Del Potro, Andy Murray. Yeah. These are guys that have had big careers. Obviously, they haven't played a lot of tennis recently yeah. um, for various reasons. A lot of them have been, um, have been injured. But overall, I mean, you look at the prize money and the success those guys have, have had, um, these are guys that could contribute a lot to this fund. Now, yep. I'm sure that. But these even guys even there's um, Marco Cecchinato ranked 113. He's a Grand Slam semi finalist. So there's another one. For yeah. You. Exactly, and I'm sure a lot of these guys will take it upon themselves to chip in because um, you know they're all they're all good characters. And even a guy like Ernest Gulbisfel, like I, yeah. obviously we know about his struggles recently. He's had to go out and source his own. Um, equipment and stuff like that. He's ranked 162 in the world at the moment. He's been stuck on the challenger circuit for a, a while. But even before that, um, I mean, he was he was at the top of tennis for quite a long time. Yeah. So even a guy like him, I'm sure he could contribute a bit as well. But I'm sure those guys will contribute some money. But the way the system that's been proposed stipulates it is those guys don't have to um, put anything in. And if it was to stretch beyond 100, say to world number 150, then they're only chipping in five grand each. Now I'm yep. sure a lot of those guys would be able to put in some more money. So, yeah. look, I, I, I think it needs to work on um, some kind of formula that factors in titles and prize money overall. And even, um, you know, you look at um, the, the current rankings inside the top 100. I look at, guy, I look at a guy like James Duckworth, for example. Mm. We know all, all about him because obviously he's a local product in Australia. He's in the top 100 at the moment, but he is tore away on the challenges for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, to you know, finally get himself back in and then have to have to fork up $5,000 that he's really had to earn. So there's there's some players yeah. in there that, that may struggle. And even um, you mentioned outside the top 100, Victor Troitsky at 184 as well. So you're 100% right here. Like you yeah. make a really valid argument. And 
um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be tough, even for guys like Salvatore Caruso, who's at 100 in the world. He hasn't been in the top 100 for a very long time. He's really had to fight. He's 27 years old. He's almost a journeyman. Um, you know, there's some, there's some players on there that are quite young that are really only starting to make their mark on the tour and um, and, and fought, or even older and have toiled away, and that $5,000 would mean a lot to them. So, um, yeah, you're 100% right. I think that a title base, like the, the 50 to 100 definitely should be a part of this, um, you know, giving money pool. But I think the, the players that you mentioned, your Del Potros, your Karlovic's, your Andersons, your Murray's, could all easily be chipping in for that, you know, 5 to 10 or 1 to 5 bracket. Yeah, and even guys like if you look a bit higher up, um, and we were talking about this before, guys like Richard Gasquet, Fernando Vadasco, Gilles mm. Simon, they're all ranked in the 50s. And... These guys, even though, okay, yeah, they're in the twilight of their career, but they've had pretty successful careers. Yeah, God, yeah. Um, you know, they've, they've been prominent, and Feliciano Lopez as well, they've been prominent um, in slams, Luca Pui, um, you know, the list goes on. Um, so I don't necessarily think it, it should work on a sort of blanket um, system where we just say one to five contributes this, five to ten, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but even, even um, you know, if you look at the, the top bracket of players, I actually think it's probably not top-heavy enough, to be fair. Um, you know, I, I think guys like Novak and Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer, um, even a guy like Daniil Medvedev certainly could contribute a lot more. I mean, oh, he's so a BMW. Dominic Team, exactly. Mm. There's a, a lot of guys that could contribute a lot more. So, look, I think overall the premise is right. Um, it needs to happen, but I think the I think um, the players need to go back to the table um, and and take on board the concerns of as I'm sure will come forward, some players um, in the lower echelons of the sport. And as has been reported in that article by Sports Illustrated, if anyone wants to jump on and read that, we might actually link that on our socials later. Um, So people can go and check it out. Um, Novak, to be fair to him, has welcomed feedback from the players and has actually encouraged that all players get on board and provide that feedback. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes of that. But look, as a starting point, yeah, it's a good idea. Needs to happen, but I I think... From this point on, um, there is going to have to be some changes to it. Yeah, well, you, you talk about the changes and John Millman has already been one that's given his feedback of, um, of this uh, new plan and he said if the concern is to help players rank 250 to 700 in the world, why is it taking a global pandemic to realise this? Uh, surely over the many years of top-end heavy prize money increases, we maybe should have uh, distributed the spread a little bit more, question mark. So that was on his Twitter, and he makes a really valid point. Why has it taken a global pandemic to yeah. bring a plan like this into place? And it's 100% right, but I think the the dangers and the perils were kind of covered up by a lot more people. And Millman has been one who has vocalised his support for these lower-ranked players for many, many years. But a lot of players haven't done that. Um, so I think he's he's definitely in the right to say that, um, you know, the the, the why why or to ask why it's happening now. But um, a lot of players really should be should be focusing in tournaments. The ITF, I think, especially needs to focus on. Uh, injecting injecting more money into the lower ranked events like the challenges and the futures so that players don't go bankrupt so that everybody has the same chance of succeeding we had this discussion last week we want every yeah. player to have the same chance of succeeding but it's not happening it's no it's mm. nowhere near that maybe I, I wouldn't even say 50% of players have the have the best chance to succeed not even 40 
So it's it's, yeah, it's absolutely. tough. Absolutely, and this is at an extreme, but we have seen in the past that when things get really desperate, we have seen match fixing happen. Now, not to say that that's a big problem in tennis, but it is an active problem that has happened. Well, it's not a, it's not a small problem. Happens, yeah, well, exactly. And, and the reason that happens is because at a lot of these smaller events, those players can't earn a living or can't sustain themselves, and that's why it happens, because they've got nowhere else to go. So... You know, if we go down this path, then that's another issue that is is tackled. And I'm sure, um, you know, if it's not eradicated altogether, we will at least take a big stride in, in, in reducing it. Yep. It's And look, we need to get rid of match fixing in tennis. It has to happen. And it's, it, you know, there was a lot in of... every sport. Uh, well, exa- that's very true, not just in tennis. But um, <laughs> we, we've seen a lot of news over the past few years, especially sort of towards the probably late 2017, early 2018, when it was... when it was filling tennis news inboxes and, and all the all the various yeah. tennis sites, WTA, ATP, Tennis Channel, um, you know, all of them. So it's it's definitely a problem that we've got in the game and I think we need to eradicate it as soon as we can and this is a surefire way of doing it, injecting more money. The ITF is, I think, yes, the players that do match fix are held accountable but I think the ITF has a little bit of accountability as well because they need to start helping and chipping in, as do the WTA and ATP. The governing yeah. bodies aren't blameless in this because there isn't enough money for those no. for those lower-ranked players who want to make a career but just don't have the funds to do it. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, for me, it's a fairly simple equation. If, if the money on offer for, for players goes up at the smaller events, then they don't need to, you know, they won't grow desperate. They'll run... Um, you know, there'll be more on offer. They can fill their pockets and they don't need to, to have to worry about um, their base and, and turning to those sorts of things. Exactly. And moving on, Joel, we've got uh, some Novak Djokovic news about vaccinations, which we are going to get to later. Oh, so um, we, we'll, we'll, get to we'll, we'll keep that fresh. And yeah, we definitely will. We've got a segment just for that. But we've also got uh, the Labor Cup postponement uh, last week. And it's, it's quite disappointing that they've had to postpone, but it looks like the French Open may have just won out. Um, in their in, well, in their battle to try and get the tournament rescheduled, and the um, the Labor Cup statement uh, over the weekend was event organisers today announced that the Labor Cup will not be held in 2020, but will return to Boston in 2021. A move prompted by changes to the international tennis calendar, which created a scheduling conflict with other major international tennis events. The fourth edition of the Labor Cup will be held at the TD Garden in Boston from September 24 to 26 in 2021. So. Disappointing that the Labor Cup won't go ahead and that the French Open has sort of pulled rank here. And even though I still find it disgraceful what they've done, what Bernard Giudicelli and the FFT um, have have done here and just arrogantly moved the tournament to September a week after the US Open, it's really disappointing. And it's cost the Labor Cup, you know, money. They've organized it. Now they've had to postpone it back a year. So disappointing there. But I don't know. what, What are your thoughts on the whole situation? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's just a bit of, well, yeah, chaos, really. Um, I guess that's probably the only way we can put it. Um, and we have spoken about it on, on previous episodes that, you know, it was pretty arrogant by um, by the French Open to, to go and simply reschedule seemingly without a lot of uh, consultation with the other with the other events. And, you know, we've spoken at Nauseamville about how um, even though, okay, a slam is a slam, they're the pinnacle of tennis. Um, all these other events in different parts of the world and even the Labor Cup um, really contribute to um, the economy of, of, of tennis and more broadly in whatever country they're in and actually affects the lives of a lot of 
of a lot of people, not only the players, but the volunteers and the staffers, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, it's going to have a, obviously a big, big impact for, for those sorts of people. But, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was expected. I mean, let's, yeah. let's be real. I, I, I don't, I don't even think the French Open will be played, to be honest. Neither I don't do the I. US Open will be played either. I ho- um, well, look, I hope the French doesn't yeah. get played. I, I really do. The US Open, yeah. I, feel for them, but the French Open, after what they've done, I just don't think they deserve to have a tournament, to be quite honest. I, like, it's just, mm. it, it was it was disgusting what they've done. So, I mm. I know it's a very hard line approach, but in business and, yeah. in, you know, in life, you have to be ruthless at, at times and, you know, you can't just make bad decisions and be rewarded for them. So, why should they be rewarded with a tournament this year? That's that's my question, but yeah. who knows? Um, Just... Quickly yeah. before before we do move on to Mark's a foolish Joel, um, we took to our socials during the week, and this was your brilliant idea. Now, after John Millman's idea to do a tennis state of origin, you decided mm. that we uh, that you'd make a graphic with all of the different teams and all the different states, and then the two of us would go through perilously and yeah. try and... We should stress that perilously. Yeah, no, it, it was. It took us... Well, you started the night before, and then I sort of gave, I gave a few names, but then in the morning, we both really worked at it, and getting getting the yeah. juniors was really difficult from each, each state, and I think we got there barring a little bit of Facebook stalking, but we, we got there in the end, and, <laughs> and looking, at, looking at where people Who were... Who would be saying that on the show? <laughs> pardon? Who would have thought we'd be saying that on this show? I know, geez, it's um, yeah, we're getting into sort of illegal territory now. <laughs> no, um, no, it was just literally searching a name on Facebook and seeing if they had their location and where they were from. So it actually did really help because we got the we got the graphic done. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, head to our social media pages, Facebook. Um, you can just search at Breakpoint One or Breakpoint Podcast. The Twitter is at Breakpoint Pod, and Instagram is at Breakpoint Podcast. So. Um, follow us there. You can see our graphic here in our state of origin. We did have a, a few players um, interact with us, Luke Saville and Max Purcell, who Purcell unfortunately missed out, um, one of the slugs, but um, he missed out. Delacqua liked it, so thank you, Casey. But also um, we did have a little bit of an oversight because of um, conflicting reports with Storm Sanders. Um, one place said she was born in Rockhampton, which is in Queensland. Another place said she was born in Rockingham in WA. So we were like, oh, you know what? Let's mm. not put her in just just to make sure. Turns out she is from WA and she wasn't in the site. So, whoops. But, you know, better be safe than sorry, I guess. Yeah, well, I guess the idea was that we wanted to make absolutely sure, Val, that we weren't yep. picking players in the wrong state. I think that would have been the worst possible um, situation. So, yep. I'm, you know, in, in hindsight, obviously now we know that Storm Sanders is in fact born in WA. Yeah, so um, she makes Rocky, the team. Which is... Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is very different to Rockhampton, we should add, for, yeah. for anyone uh, that doesn't know Australian geography. They're thousands of kilometres apart. Yep. Um, but, yes, um, Storm Sanders would be in the West Australian team. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I guess one other thing that we should point out is that um, we've coined a sixth team as territories and included Tasmania in that. Yes, yep. we know that Tasmania isn't actually a territory. They're a yep. state. Um, but we did question whether the talent pool was deep enough for Tasmania to warrant its own team. So I guess territories is, is just its own yeah. coin term. But um, I mean, if, you, if we look at some of these teams, there's some um, some pretty strong teams here, and there's a, there's quite a lot of depth in terms of in terms of talent pool, especially when you look at um, uh, New South Wales and, and Queensland. Yeah, um, those two are, those side, two are scary good. 
Yeah, if you look at if you look at New South Wales on the, on the men's side, there's a lot of talent there yep. um, for the men. And then turning attention to Queensland, there are a lot of women um, that hail from Queensland that could easily be um, in this side. So look, overall, I think we've made a pretty good a pretty good fist of it. Um, yep. If if people um, you know want to check it out, they haven't seen it yet. Um, go to go to our socials um, and uh, drop us a comment and um, let us know what you think. If there's any changes to the teams that we've picked, I'm sure there'll there'll be a few, and, and also the actual um, system that is uh, on offer. Let us let us know what you think about it. Exactly. Thank you very much, Joel. And just quickly, who who do you think would win? Because we, you mentioned Queensland and New South Wales, those two are by far the best teams that we've got there. Victoria and South yeah. Australia probably third and fourth could you know make a surprise run. I don't know, but who do you think wins? For me, it's for me it's Queensland. Yeah. Yeah, look, um, it, it, it's a hard one. I, I think, I, I think Queensland as well, um, and the reason being is because um, you know I look at I look at the men and it's pretty strong. Obviously, you've got John Millman leading the charge, yeah. um, partnered by um, Jason Kubler and also JP Smith. But then, if you look at the women, you've got Ash Barty, Sam Stoza, and Iowa Tomjanovic. And yeah. the big thing that sticks out there is that Ash Barty and Sam Stoza are both really, really good doubles players. Um, so as we know from what we've seen from um, Davis Cup, Fed Cup, if you can have a good doubles pairing, then you're in the box seat. If you can win those doubles ties and have um, the upper hands, you're in a really good position uh, when things are in the balance to actually come home with a wet, with a wet sail. Yep, 100%. And I, I agree. I think Queensland... Queensland by by a long way. New South Wales have such a strong men's lineup. Could easily win all all three of their men's matches if there was doubles. Hundred percent, they'd win. They they could come into that too. But yeah, I think with the with women's doubles there, geez, it's it's a scary team in Queensland. And Stozer and Barty, obviously, such wonderful players and custodians. And even the legends, Pat Rafter and Nicole Pratt. If they were to be part of it, Pat Rafter, yeah. uh, I think he'd still cover the court pretty well. So it's um, it, it's a really imagine Rafter v Woodbridge in uh, Queensland versus New South Wales. That would be this is something that I think Tennis Australia definitely could, should look into because it's it's a wonderful idea. And when you put it all on paper, it actually looks quite good. So fingers crossed, we do see something like this in the future. But um, still probably a lot of um, a lot of work to get done before it does happen. But yeah, it's um, it's exciting. I guess to, it's before exciting. we move on, though, one one thing I think we should add as well is that um, one thing that was pointed out on on Twitter is that if if this system does get up, um, it will be interesting to see uh, what changes happen um, if borders are still shut off because of course we've got players, um, Australian players that are based overseas like Alex Dimonar and Alexi Popperin, who mm-hmm. funnily enough didn't even get a run in our New South Wales team. Um, but those guys, um, and even someone like Bernard Tomic, yeah. um, players generally that are based overseas, obviously wouldn't be able to compete in this. No, they wouldn't. Um, so, so I'm sure if this was to occur later this year, and our borders, um, Australian borders, were still shut, um, that would obviously affect team selection. But this, these teams that we've picked, um, of course, don't factor that in. This is just um, in the best possible case scenario. Yep, agree. So, look, we've got we've got plenty to get through, and in, in like in terms of trying to get this tournament, I want to keep forcing Dennis Australia to look at this because I think it's a wonderful idea, um, and it was great yeah. work by you to get it all sort of sorted and and put everything together. And yeah, it took us a long time to get the names right. It took us a few hours the next morning, but we got there and. Um, I think if this and if this does happen, I think the benefits it'll have for the young Australian players 
um, will be exemplary. So fingers crossed that something like this can happen in the future. But plenty more still to get through, Joel. We've got a very special guest coming up. His name is uh, Mark Safoulis. So let's try and um, get him on this Zoom chat and, uh, and get it all working. And we do have him on the line. So, Joel, our first Zoom chat isn't a complete failure. Mark Safoulis, tennis coaching extraordinaire and uh, co-creator of the Tennis Menu, joins us on the line. Mark, thanks so much for, for doing this and uh, coming on the show. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure, guys, and great to actually see you, not just uh, hear you guys. It's uh, quite a good little thing, this uh, Zoom. Technology is unbelievable. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? And um, uh, quickly, tell, tell us a little bit about um, about the tennis menu, Mark, and th- that's the reason we've got you on today to, to talk about the website and the initiative that you've got and um, and what it's all about. And it's it's more about sort of coaching and um, how to develop young players and uh, players of any age, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's it's kind of, it's a website that hopefully caters for every player out there and parents as well, and and obviously coaches who need some new ideas. But it's basically a development tool for people to be able to use to actually enhance their game in any way, shape, or form. So there'll be some ideas around technical, tactical, physical, mental kind of work. Um, we'll have programs out there for players to use to, to develop themselves. And yeah, it's a, basically a one-stop tennis shop, really, uh, to be honest. And it's. My ideas from over probably you know twenty odd years of coaching. Um, I think it's my twenty third year of coaching this year, and I started as a, a bright, pimply fifteen year old, and uh, <laughs> and now I'm a, an old, wrinkly thirty eight year old. So, um, so it's been quite fun to put all my ideas down and uh, and literally see them see them on a on a computer screen. And just just with and you took me through the website yesterday and. Looking, looking at all the different shots and techniques, I didn't realize with each wing and every type of tennis shot how many techniques there are to to achieve perfection. And even then, it, it's so hard to achieve perfection. But how did you go about getting all of the footage of all these different types of shots, balance, technical, like the technical um, aspects of the shot and all the different sort of techniques and ways to stand, ways to hit, ways to hold a grip? How did you go about sort of compiling all of all of those, all of the, all of the footage and all the information? Yeah, it's, it's been four years in the making, so it's, it hasn't been a, an easy task, and uh, taking a lot of time and effort, and, and obviously with my business partner Nick Gissing, and uh, we've we've put countless hours in. We're still doing it at the moment, but you basically start off by I literally put all my ideas on a on a piece of paper. I'm very visual, and I wrote everything down, and and then it builds upon that, and you create more ideas from from what you've written down, and then you start filming. Um, you film a few drills, and you think, oh, hang on a second, there's another variation to that activity that we could possibly put in. And um, I'm a pretty creative kind of person, and a very visual and kinesthetic kind of learner, so. When I was doing it, I had to do it to actually add more ideas to the, to the product. So, um, And it's no different to how kids learn these days. It's very visual and kinesthetic. So they like to see what happens. They like to feel it. And then you can basically create anything from that. And uh, you know, I encourage a lot of kids out there to be creative in what they do. I think it's an important part of life, let alone tennis. And if you can be as creative you know, and, and not worry if something stuffs up, always be prepared to fail. And, and that's what I've been prepared to do from day one of this is be prepared to fail because you know what? At the end of the day, not everything that you do is successful and you learn from all the mistakes you make. Yeah, 100%. And, and just it, it's... It's a it's such a great initiative though, and it's there's there's not really much like it that I've seen, or I don't know if you've seen anything similar, Joel. But it's it's just it's it's a wonderful initiative with such great help, and there's all different packages now. Talk us through those as well, 
um, you know, what, what you can do, like sort of the different price packaging and, and everything along those lines? Yeah, so basically we'll have a subscription um, and it'll be a yearly subscription to the product that you'll get all the tennis uh, specific drills um, in that subscription. So technical and tactical and doubles and we'll have a whole range of different activities for coaches, parents and athletes to be able to um, get their hands on. And then we'll actually have some experts in the field. So looking at strength and conditioning, nutrition, uh, physiotherapist, a flexibility coach, uh, we've got a data analyst and basically they'll all have their own packages within that that you can purchase at, a, at a, a cheap rate, obviously, to get all their content as well. So basically for, from, uh, from here on, you'll have a holistic uh, process and program that can build your game basically from, you know, when you first pick up a racket right the way through to, to obviously, you know, your end of your career. So... Um, we've got a lot of experts in the field. I, I never claim to be an expert in everything, and I never will be. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm a tennis coach. That's my forte, and that's my strength. And I like everybody to play to their strengths. So uh, we, we're bringing in experts in all the fields to be able to provide the best information from around the world as possible for all of the, the people that purchase the product. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. And uh, I guess we're not going to get you know many better coaches uh, around in Australia at the moment. And um, for anyone that's listening to this, of course, head to thetennismenu.com, all one word to go and check out Mark's work. And um, I guess moving on to the career you've had in coaching, Mark, um, you've had some pretty noteworthy um, um, students, if uh, if you like, on, uh, on the ATP and WA tours, uh, Victor Hanescu and the Roddy Nova sisters. What was it like to um, get amongst the professional scene and coach those guys? Yeah, uh, it's look, I've been very fortunate. Um, you know, obviously you got to work hard to be able to create these opportunities, but I've also been very fortunate to, to work with such amazing athletes and uh, and people who I, I still remain friends with today. And uh, my first ever job on the tour was, was walking out of my level three high performance coaching course. And I thought I knew everything and, you know, I was taught you know, all these different ways of coaching. And uh, I, I went on a court with Anastasia Rodionova and, uh, and I literally found out in the space of about one hour that I, I knew nothing. <laughs> and, um, and I'm a big, big advocate of, um, uh, you know, the players create the coach. The coach doesn't create the players. And all the players I've been fortunate enough to work with have created um, my profile and who I am today and, and obviously given me the ideas that, you know, I can utilise to create the website that I'm doing at the moment. And, you know, to work with those players and travel on tour and, uh, you know, be able to, I had a locker one day, you know, coaching Victor Hinescu. I'm in uh, Monte Carlo, which was this time, you know, about eight years ago. And uh, I'm sitting in my locker room and who, who's next to me is Rafael Nadal. Um, and, you know, it's probably one of the amazing moments um, of my coaching career just to sit next to him and talk to him about tennis. And, um, and I've had some great opportunities to meet players like that through the players I've coached. And, uh, you know, the, the, the tour is an amazing place. It's a different, a different place to what people probably imagine it to be. And, um, it's very isolated. You, you don't sort of communicate too much with too many people, and you're basically at the courts in your hotel room, and that's all you pretty much see of any any country. So uh, it is different, probably what people imagine it to be. But um, I have learned so much through through my travel and what I've been able to you know been able to do. So uh, and it, it all goes to those players too. I really um, you know I'm really grateful for the opportunity they gave me and and the trust they had in me to work with them. Now, as we know. As you mentioned, Rafael Nadal, legend of not only singles but tennis as a whole. But the Bryan brothers, you've worked with them for the past six Aussie Opens, and they are real, genuine legends of the double circuit. What are they? What are they like to work with? 
uh, oh, two of the most amazing people you'll ever meet. Um, they are just amazing, down to earth kind of guys. Um, you know, I'm very grateful to have even uh, shook hands with them, let alone uh, shared a court and hit some balls with them. Um, they just phenomenal people, and, and they've been you know crowd favourites for a long period of time. 2020 was supposedly their their farewell tour, and maybe if they uh, if they can't play for the rest of the year, they might uh, extend that to 2021. Who knows? But you know, obviously being uh, on the court with the greatest players, uh, doubles players of all time, you, I, I'm a big advocate that success leaves footprints. And, you know, when you're able to, to walk on a court with two of the best players ever to play the game um, and see what success looks like up close, the footprints are there. And that's what I've tried to provide, obviously, on the website is, you know, the footprints to success are all in what people have done before. But you add your own flavour to that and it creates your own identity. But these guys have just created such an amazing pathway for so many people around the world. And, uh, yeah, literally, I'm, I'm just uh, – every day I, I look in – I've got a, a tennis racket of the boys that they signed for me uh, after the 2017 Australian Open after they lost in the final. And, um, you know, it's got a special place in my heart and they signed it straight after the match and gave it to me and they jumped on the plane and left. And, uh, you know, so that was uh, quite, a, quite an awesome thing to have um, a memory of. And obviously, you know, photos for me are amazing to look back on. And, and one day when, when it's all done and dusted, I'll be able to, you know, say I've, I've stepped on a court with the greatest doubles players of all time. And, uh, well, you definitely have, and you can say that now, even when it's not all said and done, because they definitely are the greatest doubles pairing of all time. I don't think that anything even comes close. Maybe the Woodies, but that's probably it. But you always you talk about philosophy a lot every when I've spoken to you, Mark, and sort of what what success looks like from a performance level, and sort of what's what makes success. And we obviously know it's a lot of hard work and dedication, but is how much more is there to it and going behind the scenes and how much players actually work at themselves and are constantly waiting for feedback? Does it all sort of tie in together? Yeah, it does. Um, so basically, like as you touched on, my philosophy is all about people first um, and having the right uh, training habits, right characteristics and right behaviours that elite athletes all have. And you know, you can pick up, uh, you know, a hundred of the, the most important behaviors and habits from every single top player and they'll all be very similar. Um, and, and I think that's one of the most important things. And then, you, you know, you've touched on um, all the things that these players do are all the same from their work ethic to their focus, to their, their, their want for feedback, to, for their self-criticism, um, for the work ethic that they have. It's all very, very similar. Um, they're all, they all do it in their own way, in their own flavour, in their own style, but it's all pretty much, as you, know, as you said, it's all the same. You know, you can pick up the same characteristics from Djokovic and the Bryan brothers would have identical. You know, it might be different athletic capabilities or different, you know, style of forehand or backhand, but all the fundamentals are the same. And what players try and do too much of that are developing is they try and look at the flair side of what these players do, whether it be the underarm serve or you know the through the leg shot, or that's the cherry on top that these players can add to their game because their foundations are set. And I look at development as being uh, like building a house. If you don't have solid foundations of a house, the house will collapse. So you build the foundations first, and the foundations of character, work ethic, behavior, um, mental focus, commitment, discipline. And then you build the beautiful looking product that's on top of the on top of the foundations 
because the foundations are so strong. And that's what we have to do in development. And these players ooze great foundations and they have an amazing ability to sustain success because their foundations are so settled. And that's what I think is the most important part of being an elite player for so long is having strong foundations. Something that we've been chatting a lot about, Mark, and um, I guess it's pretty inescapable, is the, the current crisis that's, um, I guess, consumed the, the world. And tennis is, uh, has been a victim as well. No tennis for, for quite some time. Um, and I guess what, what I'm interested in is there's no doubt that the top sort of echelon of players will um, really be... Will, they'll be OK, I think. They'll have their, their coach and their support staff, and obviously they can afford those kind of people around them. But certainly, um, as we trickle down the rankings, um, the coaches are really earning their money at the moment, and the players can't afford the, the extras like, I guess, the you know, the fitness people um, and the physios and, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, if you're a coach in that situation of um, someone that's a bit down the rankings, I mean, where are you Where are you starting with setting up a program for them to, I guess, keep fit um, uh, physically but also mentally in this in this downturn that we're having at the moment? Well, it's, a, it's a great question and, uh, and I'm actually going through it with one of my two players that I've got. So I've been working a little bit with Catherine Westbury who literally has, from a five-year hiatus, come back into the professional ranks of the game um, and played two tournaments back on the WTA Tour now, uh, doing extremely well. But then this whole situation hits and uh, she's stuck doing nothing. So, you know, we're in a situation where we're in contact daily. Um, I'm giving her matches to watch or mental side of the side of things to, to work on, uh, physical th- things she has to work on. These players can't afford to have their coach. I, I don't get paid to do that, you know, and this is the hardest part about being a coach is I won't get paid to, to work with Catherine, but I want her to be in great shape for when she comes back. So, you know, that takes a bit of a secondary in terms of payment. I'm not really worried about that. I'm worried about her well-being, both mental and physical, and hopefully she can get back on tour when, it's, when it all comes to back, you know, into our into our lives. But there is probably 95% of the world tour probably won't have any um, coaching going on at the minute. They're doing everything on their own. And that's probably the hardest part about uh, about this situation is you've got to be so self-driven now. That's one of the most important habits and characteristics of our foundation that I spoke to Val just then. Um, I think it's important to have great self-drive in your foundations. And if you don't have self-drive in this particular moment in time, you know, you are in a real, real lot of bother when, you, when the tour comes back because you wouldn't have done enough work. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's challenging. You know, we, we have to stay in touch with our players. I stay in touch with all my junior players daily, um, see how they're tracking. I've given them all activities. They send me their, their work back every day. Um, and, yeah, send them links to things I want them to watch as well. So uh, trying to stay in touch daily. Yeah, and that's interesting because I guess it shows that the players really are just the tip of the iceberg. And, and Val and I have chatted a bit about it, um, certainly when it comes to things like tournaments and and the slams, uh, whatever it is, being postponed or cancelled, there's a lot of people as well alongside the players that, that get affected. And, um, you know, certainly the, the coaches are, are another one of those um, groups of people. Oh, absolutely. And even I'm looking at the local coaches at the moment and in a lot of chats with a lot of a lot of our local uh, talented coaches who are just sitting at home and, we, you know, we're not making any money. You know, it's a, it's a, a challenging time for all of us to to get through and it's no different to anybody around the world that's lost their job and I do feel for everyone um, it's in the same boat but you know we've got to we've 
we've got to stick together as a community, I think, is important and um, and keep tennis at the forefront of people's minds. And I do thank you guys for continuing what you do and your great work because it's important to have tennis at the forefront of everybody's mind. Um, it's still a great game, a great sport. We'll be able to go back to it at some point. It's not. This is not for life. This is just for temporary uh, temporary time. And um, we'll all be back and we'll be bit back bit better and bigger than ever. And, and the other thing will be more driven. You know, we know what we've lost and we know how much it means to us now. So we'll continue to hopefully drive this and uh, and get tennis back uh, up to the top as, as it always has been. That's what I'm, I was going to say next, Mark. It's it's such a difficult time, but I think we all realise what we're grateful for in, in such a tough period on a global scale because it's not just affecting Australia, it's affecting everybody around the world. And, you know, high profile, low profile, it doesn't matter who you are, it's still going to affect you. And um, it's, it's such a tough time, but... Moving, moving back to um, the foundations and laying those foundations to build the end product, you're obvious, it, it'd be remiss of me not to mention that you're, you have a lot to do with the AFL and, um, and coaching the Richmond VFL team. And um, you're definitely the key to their success last year, by the way. I, I must say that on the show. But um, it's, um, it, it's, you must take a lot from sort of different players in different sports and sort of add them and you take something from tennis and move it into the AFL side and then take something from footy and then move it into tennis. What what did you learn early on about using the two sports to gain, or I guess to gain sort of um, coaching philosophies for each other, I guess? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I get this, asked this question a, a lot. Um, and people say, how do you coach two sports? It's totally different. One's team, one's individual, and, you know, the different skills and et cetera. Uh, the one thing I say to people is that it may be a different sport, but you're still dealing with people. Yeah. And we are people much longer than we are athletes. And it's about creating right habits in the person themselves to be able to create the right athletic habits. So I've been very fortunate. Uh, 13 years, I think I've been at the footy club. Um, you know, we went through a phase where we struggled. Um, 2007, eight. uh, you lost Terry Wallace, you got sacked and, you know, it was a real challenging place to be, shocking facilities to winning now obviously two grand finals in the last three years and I know Val, you, you're pretty excited with that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's been an amazing, amazing journey I've been on with, with the footy club and I'm forever grateful to them and uh, unfortunately we are in a situation that we're at now but, you know, I think the two sports work hand in hand um, it's all about decision making. It's all about uh, strategy. It's all about mindset. Um, and if you can, if you can take some skills from tennis and bring it into footy and footy in tennis, it's great. And I've been able to do that. And uh, a lot of the drills I do in tennis are based on footy. It's quite quite weird. But then there's a lot of things in footy that I, I bring from a tennis perspective, which is that individuality. And you know, I, I mentioned that a few years back to a lot of our coaches at the club was. You know, we can utilise um, what tennis do and tennis focus so solely on each individual becoming better. And if each individual and a whole team of 44, 45 players becomes better, then the whole club grows and becomes a, a better a, a better package. And uh, that's probably, you know, in the short of it, what I've probably taken from both. And um, the ability, and the Richmond Footy Club, the one thing that I've, I've really taken from that is to allow yourself to be vulnerable. In the last few years at the Richmond Footy Club, we've we've done a lot around being vulnerable and being uh, being able to be ourselves at the footy club, and and I've brought that to tennis a lot. And I think that's been a significant change in my coaching in the last probably three years. Is that 
Um, I haven't been, tried to be someone I'm not. And I've coached with a real true, honest, um, heart of my sleeve kind of mentality. And I feel like that's improved my coaching and improved the connection between myself and my athletes. And, um, you know, everything that I've learned, I've learned um, so much from every player that I've coached from a junior right the way through to a pro um, and every person I meet. And I think if we can have that mentality to improve ourselves every day from every, every situation in life, then we're all going to be better off in the long run. Mark, you're a wonderful custodian of coaching, a wonderful custodian of tennis in this country. And the initiative of the tennis menu is wonderful. It's it's one of the best things I've seen for the sport and I hope this is going to take off. And you can go like the tennis menu on Facebook and also follow the tennis menu at the tennis menu on Instagram and Twitter and go look at tennis menu, the tennismenu.com um, for all your tennis needs. And please subscribe, help Mark out. He's, um, it, it's, it's such a wonderful initiative. If you want to get better at tennis, this is your one-stop shop in being able to do that. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been brilliant. We hope to have you on soon to chat about more coaching and more of the dynamics of tennis and um, and, and, and much more. Oh, I'm always happy to be on the show and, and thanks so much for having me. And Yeah, I'm loving the uh, the Richmond stuff in the background, mate. It's, uh, it's given me a bit of a <laughs> Go on and uh, hopefully, um, you know, obviously footy will be back soon as well. So it'd be nice to be back on the court and back on the footy field. That'd be uh, ideal. But thanks so much for having me. No problems. Fingers crossed I can have more more premiership frames up here in, uh, in 2020. But thanks again, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll speak to you very soon. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Mark Safoulis there joining us on the line. Remember to check out the tennis menu uh, on all socials, Instagram and Twitter at the tennis menu. And Facebook, just search the tennis menu and the tennismenu.com. It's a, it's a wonderful website, and everything that they do on there is just for the benefit of tennis. And um, I, I love the initiative, and it's brilliant. Mark's just a, a wonderful coach, wonderful people person, and um, yeah, wish him absolutely all the best in in all the endeavours there. You might have to get some uh, some lessons, Val. Well, I'm definitely going to because I improve your game, and then we can we, we can have the, the next breakpoint open. We actually can. Well, I think Ryan beat me six love last time we did it. So um, my tennis skills have just gone completely out the window. It's it's not good at all. But um, I might have to. I'm definitely going to subscribe to the tennis menu and um, and yeah, just use all use all those forehand, backhand, serve, volley techniques. I don't care. I'm using them all. I'm I'm going to become the new Roger. That'll be interesting. The day that happens, yeah, is when pigs will fly. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. Thanks for your faith. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, look, it's that time of the week. Um, we introduced this segment last week, and there has been big demand, mainly just by the two of us, um, but there is demand, and it is the Benoit pair of the week, or the Benoit of the week. And, Joel, this is your domain. Who is the Benoit of the week? Well, the Benoit of the week this week was... Well, I mean, for, for us anyway, it was pretty self-explanatory. Novak Djokovic. Oh, my God. What I... are you doing, mate? What are you doing, really? I mean, so, okay, so we, we, we hinted at this at the start of the show, but for anyone that hasn't seen it, um, Novak Djokovic during the week, I think it was a, a chat room amongst some other Serbian Serbian athletes, some high-profile athletes, and yep. they were talking about when a vaccination for COVID-19 comes out, um, Obviously, the majority of them are going to get it, but apparently not Novak. He's not going to get it, which beggars belief because, I mean, this is this, this is a pandemic that has hit every nation, literally every nation on earth, and we've got nearly 3 million cases. Borders are closed. Um, it's shut down an entire sport. I just can't understand why he 
uh, A, not only wouldn't get it himself, but then also would say it in a public forum. I know. Um, and, and, and plant this idea that when this thing comes to fruition, and hopefully we get it sooner rather than later so we can move on with life, um, planting this seed that, um, that other people shouldn't get it either. Now, I, I really hope that um, the majority of people would be smart enough to, to realise they need this, this vaccine. Um, to properly move on with with um, with their lives and and absolutely discount that they will get this this virus that has has killed thousands of people, um, tens of thousands of people around the world. Um, but for a high profile athlete like Novak to come out and say that, I think is just highly irresponsible. And um, you know, usually we de- we debate these kinds of things, but the reality is with with things like something like vaccination, there's no debate to be had. Let's be real, there's not. No, not at all. Not at all. Like it's, it's just. I, I'm look. I'm still stunned. I, I tweeted it yesterday, and I'm like, just when you think the guy couldn't get any more thick, um, his quote was, "Personally, I am opposed to vaccination, and I wouldn't want to be forced by someone to take a vaccine in order to be able to travel. But if it becomes compulsory, what will happen? I'll have to make this decision. I have my own thoughts about the matter, and whether those thoughts will change at some point, I don't know. What I do know mm. is that if vaccination is compulsory for players to be able to travel," and Djokovic doesn't do it, the ITF and the ATP need to remain strong. Nobody is above a global pandemic. Nobody. Mm. This is the safety of the global... Yeah, exactly. This is the the safety of a global community. Why the hell would you not want to ensure that safety by taking a vaccine? Yes, needle... Look, I'm not a fan of needles. I hate them, but I'll still take the vaccine because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, no one is. Like... Anti-vaxxers, I, I don't understand. Like, look, everybody's entitled to their opinion. It's freedom of speech in this world. But anti-vaccines, I, I, anti-vaxxers, I, I don't understand their premise at all. I really don't. Because this is science. It's proven science that these things help. And if a vaccine is going to come out and assist with the end of coronavirus, why the hell would you not take it? I, I don't understand why. It, it's, I don't know. I'm lost for words, Joel. I'm lost for words. I'm angry. Yeah, no. Look, it's it's pretty mind-boggling. Um, I mean, we know that Novak's a fan of all these natural remedies and things like that, and he's made a lot of changes to his diet. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's I, I think it's really irresponsible. But anyway, should we move on from that and get a bit more positive? Yes, we should. We should. What what have you got for me? Should we talk about the first ever live match that we that we've seen? And funnily enough, we chatted about this off air, and there's actually some similarities there. There actually, there actually is, and um, look, I, I, I was a big fan of, of doing this, and um, you know, talking about which matches that we saw, we saw first uh, as a, you know, as a live experience, and um, I, yeah, uh, there are some similarities, both in the same year and both in the same round. Yeah, and um, I think at the same arena as well. Uh, yes, it could have very well been. Um, so how you you um you go first? So who was yours? Yeah. So the first, to my memory anyway, the first ever tennis match that I saw in the flesh um, was in two thousand eight at the Australian Open. It was the first round, um, and between two very high profile players um, at the peak of their power was Arno Cormon and uh, Rainer Schuttler, and Rainer Schuttler ended up winning this match six four six two. Six seven six four, but it was the first match, um, uh, first match on on court that day. Uh, I, to my memory, it was day one, but it was the first match on on the old Margaret Court Arena uh, that day. 
Um, this is before the place was upgraded and, and it essentially became our secondary arena behind Rod Laver Arena. It was the premier um, outside court. Um, I think it was the first year of True Blue as well. Yeah, um, it was, 2008, yep. Um, yeah, but in any case, it was the first matchup that day. Um, two pretty high-profile players and, uh, yeah, Rana Schuttler came out on top in four. Yes, no, and they both have one thing in common, those two players. Both have lost to Andre Agassi in an Australian Open final. Both of them unlikely finalists, yeah. but um, both got their uh, Schuttler was in 2003 and uh, Clement was in 2001. My match was um, the reigning junior champion, Bryden Klein, taking on Chile and Paul Capdeville, and uh, Capdeville ended up winning that 6-4-7-5-6-4. That was also, that was the first ever match on Margaret Court Arena with the blue plexi-cushions, so a um, bit of history there, but um, yeah, no, that was that was a fun one. All the Aussies were out in force to support Klein, but um, he's now defected to Great Britain, so still living in Perth, but yeah, playing under the Great Britain banner, which is disappointing, but um, yeah, Capdeville uh, ended up winning that one there, and um, yeah, the rest is history. My... Um, my love affair from tennis. He'll be back when Andy Murray retires. Pardon? He'll be back when Andy Murray retires. Yeah, you think so? Or you try? I think uh, <laughs> Kyle Edmund and Dan Evans have him covered very well. So, and Jamie Murray in doubles. Yeah. So I don't think Bryden Klein's ever going to be a chance to play Davis Cup for for Team GB. So <laughs> um, tough for him, but oh well, oh well. He defected. He's a traitor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the line that you don't want to cross if you start on the Aussie side. And you go over to Great Britain. That's the true divide that you do not want to cross. It's actually happened a few times, hasn't it, Joe yeah. Conta? Yeah, no, it has. Well, Conta was born in Sydney and then plays under the GB banner. She's married to um, AFL player Shane Mumford, his uh, his brother. So um, yeah, it's it's. Oh, sorry, yeah, her si- no, sorry, her sister. No, sorry, her sister is married to Shane Mumford. That's uh, that's yeah. that's that's the that's what I was looking for. Um, yeah, so it's 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 a really odd situation, but yeah, um, uh, like a lot of Australian players and a lot of Great Britain players have um, have British passports and Australian passports. Um, I think it's a lot easier for people from Great Britain and England to come over here because the language barrier is fairly easy. So um, yeah, and I think um, a, a lot of the Brits love it here. A lot of the Australians love it over there. So um, yeah, oh well. Uh, Klein, Klein loses out by not being able to represent Australia. So um, his problem, yeah. not ours. Um, we, we stay with Australia. We do. We really do. Um, but Joe, I think that's that's probably it for, for the show today. We've um, we've had a lot to talk about. It's been some good discussion. And um, yeah, it was great to chat with Mark and, and discuss all the different sort of nuances of coaching and and philosophies and how to develop yourself and, and moving forward in a coaching career. Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, I guess it was it was interesting as well to get a, a coach's point of view on the whole um, COVID nineteen crisis at the moment, and not only how it's affecting coaches, but um, also uh, when you're working with a player, how exactly do you go about keeping them in shape to play tennis um, and and tackling both the physical and and mental side of things? But um, yeah, I've no doubt that uh, anyone that listened to that chat would have uh, enjoyed it and. Uh, lucky for all of us, um, that won't be the last we hear um, of Mark on this show. So um, we'd encourage everyone to uh, to keep coming back because uh, he'll be uh, he'll be on more often. 
100%. And um, yeah, what a wonderful chat that was. And what a wonderful chat you are, Joel. You're just absolutely brilliant to look at oh, every week. Mate. And uh, hopefully uh, hopefully we can uh, see each other in the flesh very soon. But at the moment, we'll keep going mm. with Zoom. And the first Zoom show was an absolute success. So fingers crossed that it stays that way and we can keep our technical, uh, technical problems to a minimum. So brilliant stuff from you today, as <laughs> always. Thanks very much. Thanks, mate. Speak to you soon. Speak to you very soon. This has been Breakpoint Podcast. Joel Ferrucci and myself, Val Febo, joining you every week for a little bit of tennis chat.